breaking into security, Meryl was so gung-ho. Like, <laughs> I just wanted to come in and learn and get my, I just wanted to come in, you know, kill it, do a great job and go home. I did the same thing. So. I got all my friends into cybersecurity. I was like, you don't really have a choice. Like, we gotta, we gotta do right. this together. Come to the golden yeah. land. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny when I think about my entire trajectory, like first I was really interested on the red side. Like, of course you get in, you wanna hack. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> you know, you wanna pwn people, pop boxes. Hacker. Exactly. <laughs> Who says tech can't be human? What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show glad to be back again with an incredible guest in our studio here today we had to bring in someone that is a force in cybersecurity mm -hmm. for this episode not just a force in cybersecurity but a force for purple teaming we have meryl vernon as our special guest this episode and meryl i gotta say when we first got to witness some of your work we were really impressed because of just the impact and the things that you were able to do after just three years of being in cybersecurity mm -hmm. from leading purple teams and helping build purple teams all the way to having your your own podcast. So yeah. big kudos and welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I was I was really honored and excited to get the ask. And uh, thank you so much for saying that about my content because it tells me that the branding is working. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. We are back in person. We did a lot of interviews remotely, but it's just different having folks in person person, getting the vibe a little bit. But one of the things that stood out to me about you is that you seem to bleed certain aspects of cybersecurity even before you knew about the terms. But let's go back just a touch. Tell us a little bit about who Meryl was before cybersecurity. Yeah, um, before cybersecurity, I held several marketing positions. Um, I was a big like copy editor, copywriter. I, I loved writing. I still love writing. It's my OG love. But really, I was just, you know, a 30-year-old single mom starting over in life. And uh, I was looking for a direction. I was honestly very aimless at that point in time. And so I was like, when I found cyber, I was reaching for something for something new. Mm -hmm. And what was that introduction? Like, how did you find cyber? Because there's a million fields and technology. And then when you open it up even wider, you could really do anything if you're starting over. I knew about technical fields. My dad is a controls engineer. Um, he works for NICS, Industrial Control System. And in working at the hospitality brand I worked with, a hotel chain, I worked a lot with the uh, with the IT guys. And, you know, nerd people are my people. They've always <laughs> been. So I would just ask them questions and I would say, gosh, that kind of sounds boring. But like these security aspect of what you do sounds exciting. And one of them went into the military and said he was doing some kind of cyber security thing. And I was like, that sounds cryptic and I don't know what it means, Yeah. but I feel like I could do that. Like, so I just decided to start looking into it and figure it out and see if it was something that I wanted to try. I know you have always known that you're a pretty quick learner, but you had to feel like you were looking for something when you came across cyber. What was it that you were ultimately looking for? Because I do learn so easily, I've, I find it hard to tailor back sometimes when I get passionate, but also it's it's hard to find new things to keep me energized, to keep me wanting to keep learning. So I had tried a number of industries. I had tried, you know, wedding planning, IT recruiting, nursing even, you know, um, social media management. So I tried a number of careers and like never, ever found, like I got over it quickly. I got bored and I was like, I'm never going to be happy in a job. I'm never going to find tenure because I just 
hit the knowledge ceiling and move on. And I, I was like, I want something that is so insanely challenging and so out of my depth that is like a polar opposite of me. I want to try that. I was scared. I like that was a, the biggest gamble of my life. I was like, um, I had just started over as a single mom. I was living with my mm. parents and I was like, you know, I'm putting all my eggs in the reinvent myself basket mm. and I need to make a lot of progress quickly and I want to love my life. I don't want to work a job. I want to have a career I love. Um, but it was the biggest gamble of my life because I was, I like, again, I was non-technical. So I was like, this could be, I could try this and fail. I right. could, I could not take to this at all. It could just be out of my depth. Maybe I would go into something like audit then, or I would, I would have found some way to be a part of it. But um, I, I could have been horrible at it or hated it. Luckily, neither of those things <laughs> happened. Like I, I really found my home in cyber as something I, I learn easily that I retain well, that I, not only that, that I can innovate in and, yeah. and create, um, which, which is just where I'm happy. So I was so scared to try it, but I did. And it it transformed not just my professional life, like I'm the cyber professional we all know today, but it, it changed me as a mom. It changed me. Um, I became a much more creative and outgoing person. I started, you know, bodybuilding and like yeah. reinventing my brand and like taking on new collabs and wanting to create. And uh, I was not that person before. So, so this new 2.0, 3.0 Merrill how would, you know, someone else describe you now that you've kind of like reinvented yourself? Like what kind of words and stories would they use? Everyone tells me I look really fulfilled. They're mm. like, you just look like, like you're in, like you're shining, like you're in your groove. You found your thing. And I'm like, I have found my thing. And then not only did I find it, I arrived at it too, mm. which feels so fantastic. People who knew me before, I was like this hyper Hermione perfectionist. Like when I came into <laughs> ROTC, like I was just like, just do really well and care about myself and leave everybody behind. And I, you know, wasn't cultivating any friends. And like, that's the the me that a lot of them left with. We graduated college. Right. And they reconnect with me now. And they're like, you're a completely different person. Like, we love this for you. And I'm like, thank you. Also, sorry for being super intolerable <laughs> when I was 22. <laughs> that was, again, one of those self-awareness things where yeah. I had to realize, like, it's not just important that leadership know who you are. Because like, Cadre was really impressed with me. But it's important that the people at your level love and respect you too and like you're stronger as a team so one thing about your story that i think is really incredible is your ability to learn walk us through some of the things that you had to like learn because you told us about some really insane accolades when it comes to just learning things in a short amount of time oh yeah i came to cyber from a completely non-technical background i'd never taken a single coding class you know i knew what like Windows was, but I didn't know that it was an operating system. Someone was like, did you know you can replace the operating system on your computer? I was like, no way. So <laughs> with um, <what? laughs> yeah, like, with what? They're like Ubuntu. I'm like, what's that? Yeah. So yeah, when I came in, I, uh, I had to, you know, get my situational awareness. I had to orient very quickly because I had to, I didn't even know what I didn't know. I didn't know what to Google. I didn't know where to start. Like, how do you learn cybersecurity? Like, that's right. pretty broad. So I just started uh, attending meetings and learning through osmosis back when we all did work in an office. And I would literally write down terms as people would say them in a sentence, like the context around the term, like a SIM, like a DLP, uh, things like that. And I would just start immediately Googling after meetings and like, oh, so when they were talking about this, this is what they meant and kind mm. of translating it in my brain because I do speak four languages. So I'm like, translation, mm. I'm good at. So right. I, I started to try and orient and give myself anchors. Like if we got too far away and I didn't understand, I'm like, oh, but now you've brought it back to something I do recognize. Mm -hmm. um, so I just had to start familiarizing myself with terms until I realized I could keep up in those meetings and in those conversations. I just did that with Kubernetes. I currently purple team a Kubernetes platform. 
no Kubernetes experience at all. So I had to completely learn this new tech stack. And I'm finding now that I'm able to talk about it and talk about the architecture and the platform. And I actually know what I'm saying. And I understand what people say to me at yeah. the various levels. So I was like, that feels cool. You heard about cybersecurity. You found some avenues of information. And you were finally in like a cybersecurity role. Mm -hmm. What were some of the things that you didn't realize what that would happen, both positive and negative, once you became a cybersecurity practitioner? Yeah, so I, I learned very quickly that um, we as cybersecurity people get really excited about our jobs. Like we mm -hmm. love securing the yeah. things and finding the problems and and not everyone else is as excited for that. You know, my bosses and I would walk into meetings and people would just be like, oh, great securities here. Like they're going to deliver bad news or tell us we can't have something we want or tell us they need more money. And I learned very quickly just how much like animosity even my boss's work mm. and my CISO's work was met with. And I had to learn very quickly how to tailor my delivery and my approach and not be that, oh, great person, but that, ah, oh, here's my ally. Here's like my person who's going to help me make it better. So we as security practitioners need to realize that not everyone's as excited for our work as we are, especially as a red teamer, right? I became a red teamer. And I'm like, oh, we're going to deliver the findings. And we we owned the system, which is a win for us, but that's a lose for someone else. Mm -hmm. And red teamers get really excited to give those findings. But you have to realize like, you know, that's someone else's work essentially that you've just pwned and we need to be sensitive to that. Yeah, well, walk us through one of those scenarios where you felt like you did something like really good, but then when you like either showed the results or you, you piped up in a meeting, everyone else is just kind of like, oh, here we go again with security. And then how did that start to change how you address some of these issues? Yeah, I remember like the first red team operation I was ever a part of uh, when I started working in big tech, you know, me and I'm like learning all these things from my team members. I'm like the most junior, you know, on my team. And I learned so many new um, tradecraft and tactics and techniques. And uh, we were all really excited. I got to brief on one of them that I found. I'm like, my part's coming <laughs> up. I'm excited. Yeah. And, you know, it was just one of those things where everyone was like, well, how are we supposed to address that? What do you want us to do about this? Like, it's mm. it's an actual functionality. You abused an actual... I'm like, I know we did, but like, it's important to know that this can be done. Maybe you can mitigate around it. Here were the steps, you know, ahead of and behind it. And again, it was just, it was defeating for them to hear. So every time I join a new org, new red team, new purple team, um, the first word in purple team is collaboration anyway, but as a red teamer, because I pretty much started purpling when I started pen testing, right. I reach out to people like inside channels. I'm just like, hey, I'm new in the offsec department. I'm new over here. I would love to just kind of chat with you, tell you who I am. And I just make them my buddy. And I just, you know, tell them like the kind of work I'm going to be doing and my vision and my goal. And it becomes like, oh, I have to hear bad news, but from someone I actually know is not out to get me versus like, mm -hmm. this is just going to be a riff on my job performance. So knowing you have an ally in the room already, it kind of I kind of become a go-to for people. Like they'll hit me up and say, you know, we think this is a big problem and no one believes us. Do you mind? Like, I'm like, yeah, you want me to punctuate that in an op? I'm happy to help you out, get some right, visibility yeah. on that. So much more powerful, but you have to humble yourself. And like, can you teach me? Can you teach me why this didn't work? Like I had to ask devs, like, how do I write something effective? That's not like, I'm not going to go through a million lines of code and change that everywhere. That's not happening. Like, yeah. how do I actually help be effective, effectively secure. Mm. And like, yeah, it would be helpful if you did this. I'm like, I will do that. Thank you. Mm. But a lot of red teamers won't even make the ask. I think sometimes you, we forget about the animosity that comes with working in security as a whole. Like it's changed a lot, especially with digital transformation, everybody working remote, because we have to not only balance asking people to do things that they probably don't want to do, mm -hmm. but also uh, the typical day-to-day -day work 
relationship building. Like we work in Slack or other, you know, communication uh, tools and a lot of times not over the phone. So you're not really getting that empathy piece to really understand that someone's just really trying to do their job on the other side. Right. For you, you know, reflecting back, how would you describe Merrill breaking into security and mm -hmm. how would you describe, you know, who you are and what you do today? Oh, breaking into security, Meryl was so gung-ho. Like, <laughs> I just wanted to come in and learn and get my... I just wanted to come in, you know, kill it, do a great job, and go home every day feeling good about what myself. What did you want to do, though? Like, what, what insecurity, mm -hmm. like, were you trying to get into? Oh, I had no idea all the avenues I could go to. So I started in risk. So I was working with, like, SOC 2 Type 2 audits and stuff, um, which was a great place to be exposed to big picture security and control statements and where, yeah. like, the actual things we do where that comes from and how it ties together. Um, so I thought I was gonna go into audit. I was like, this seems cool, I'm good at this. This is, you know, my brain likes it. And then I found pen testing and I was like, oh, but that sounds really, I know I did, I did it. I was like, that sounds really cool. Like I could be Merrill Vernon hacker. Yeah. So I, I started exploring that, but I, I do love GRC. I do love enterprise risk. Um, and I do love pen testing. So it's it's a unique blend of those things. Yeah, when I started, I just wanted to come in and, and annihilate it. I wanted mm -hmm. to learn everything. I, go, I wanted to plug myself into the matrix and download all the things. <laughs> you sure uh, that's not how you still are? Yeah, it seems like, yeah. Like <laughs> doesn't matter what you give me. If I'm not an expert in that thing today, I'll be an expert in that thing next week. When you think about purple teaming, I love purple teaming. If I didn't run the first purple team engagement at Netflix, I at least ran like one of the first two for sure. But I think the the feedback loop for purple teaming is really why I found the value, yes. both short term and long term. Because what I did with mine is I had a blue teamer sitting in on the planning stages for the red team. Okay. So just a silent observer, like, oh, I didn't think of that. So writing things down. So we didn't necessarily have to wait to the engagement to get those findings and those learnings. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the same blue teamer that was there isn't the one that was still going to answer the incident, but they were still just going to sit there observe, get the information. And then seeing the blue teamers, their detection logic, like firing off when we're in the engagement, like, oh, it worked, right? Mm -hmm. and, and it dawned on me and it's like, we should be testing like our detection logic, but we really don't know if it works until we're under some type of like very serious and realistic threat. Yep. When you started doing like purple teaming stuff for folks, what were some of the, the ahas that you found or even some of the great moments that you've worked with uh, some of the teams? Some of the great ones were like, uh, I, I also, to start proving value with purple teams at first, will naturally integrate them after red team operations. I'm like, you know, outcome from red team operations, pretty grim. Like when we're in a red team op and like something fails, like we weren't successful, we're like, oh, good for you guys. But we really wanted that one. Mm -hmm. So we get creative and, you know, we try to get to the pwn if we can. We try to get to the objective. But um, it's pretty grim. Here's a huge report of findings. Tickets are going to be open. They're in the backlog. How quickly they're remediated, we don't know. Right. One of the great things when I explain purple teaming and the value it can add to the org, like to the stakeholders and the technicians, is I see people light up because I'm like, we're mm -hmm. not just going to drop it there. Like you, red team, you're going to get, you're going to be able to bring your findings full circle and know when they were fixed and why or if it was mitigated or not. Um, you're not just going to see the same vulnerabilities over and over, which feels good. We feel like we're actively securing. You walk out of those outbreaks feeling much better when everyone's got a win under their belt. And like, you know, you moved the needle, even if it was 10 TTPs at a time. That's 10 TTPs we didn't have before. Mm -hmm. So when you think about collaboration, I mean, it, it's great. It feels good when you're in person. I think a lot of people are wanting to work from home now. They're like, Definitely. you know, I'm just going to stay at the house. <laughs> Do you think this digital transformation we went through over the last couple of years a lot of people are working remote now. What do you think that does to collaboration and even concepts like purple teaming? 
it makes it more difficult. Like I said, I think one of the reasons I was able to propel so quickly is because I did I did just observe. I would just shoulder surf. Um, I would listen to conversations, and you miss out on that. Um, in collaborating, it's not like, hey, that looks cool. We should work on that. You have to actively initiate it. It takes a lot more proactivity, but a lot of us just sit down, do the work in front of us, answer slacks if we're tagged. You know, you're not hanging out in channels that don't necessarily apply to you. You're not inserting yourself in conversations and getting to know other people. So silos are a big thing in like, like I said, the first word in purple is collaboration. It makes collaboration very difficult unless you actively pioneer it. Mm -hmm. So literally, I spend half of my job just reaching out to new stakeholders, people I've never talked to, other teams. Like they're like, "Do you work with our team?" I'm like, "No, but I'd love to see the work you're doing and see like if yep. you are an, an internal customer, if right. our work can complement." Like, I help the GRC teams, I help the infrastructure and engineering teams. Like, purple touches pretty much everything because it's just mm -hmm. all it is at the end of the day is a cross-function collaborative security function. So I got to ask, do you think the world is ready for purple teams? Yes. And I ask that because in a lot of situations you hear about security teams not having the right funding, the right team members, they don't have a, a red team even or someone that can do those types of operations. So when you think about like, I guess the, the current state of the industry, what situations do you really see like something like a purple team really flourish and thrive? I think those are the perfect places for purple teams to thrive before you get like if you're interested in offensive testing programs maybe you have a pen tester but like before you stand up a formal red team program let's purple team first let's baseline let's make sure things are functioning as intended so you don't hire all these sophisticated resources who again are creative thinkers good at their job clandestine ops just poning like the blue team left and right and like i i, I literally one red team i worked on the blue team said we need a break we need you to stop operations for like six mm. months while we catch up. Like, we yeah. know you're going to kill us. We know you're going to do it. We get it. We're sick of it. And I was like, oh, my gosh, we are we are making them feel really bad. So right. I think purple teams play a better part if you naturally progress from like really good defenses into purple teaming than into red teaming. Don't mm. bring on these expensive, sophisticated resources just to have them stop ops. Right. Just to have them like this is child's play. I didn't even have to try very hard. Like give the blue team some active defense and some active training on adversarial mindset and send them in with a, like a fighting chance. So a lot of people do start purple teaming in the middle of an incident though. They're like, oh, something bad is happening. You get the red teamers in here, look in logs, like help, yeah. help us, is this bad? Does this look bad? What? And I'm like, yeah, that looks like something I would do. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the first purple team exercise usually is having red right, and blue work yeah. together to solve a problem. But I think if we do start it before proper red team engagements, it, it sets you up for success. And when it comes to cost, I love that you mentioned this because security is often given a shoestring budget to like secure yep. an entire enterprise. Mm -hmm. The reason I was able to pioneer these programs and people kept giving me faith to, do, to start them is because I was like, I'm going to prove value with this thing in a fraction of my time alongside my red team duties. And I'm going to show you how I can scale it. And then if you give me budget, I can scale it even better. Right. But I will make it work all open source by myself or with resources. If you want to play nice, if you don't, I'm going to make it work either way. Because <laughs> right. So purple teams are highly customized and I'm good at customizing them to whatever topography hierarchy setup I'm given. That's why I'm so good Call at Merrill. it. Okay. Call <laughs> Merrill. Call Merrill. That's it. No, I, I completely agree with what you're saying. I was doing threat intelligence and I was like, you know, we really need to start doing some purple team stuff. And, you know, it's funny when I think about my entire trajectory, like first I was really interested on the red side. Like, you know, of course you get in, you want to hack. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> you know, you want to pwn people, pop boxes. Exactly. Uh, then I'll realize, okay, you know, red team is great. There's a lot of folks that really focus on that side, 
but you also have to have blue teamers. So I started mm -hmm. learning more about the blue side of the house. Then I tied it together with purple. But in having conversations with you, you got a bunch of colors in your mind. Yes. You're talking white. You're talking yellow. <laughs> Talk us through some of those other like colored teams and for anybody out there that hasn't heard about those. Yeah, the security color wheel. If you haven't heard, yeah. I didn't create it. There's a great graphic. Really, it's that like, you know, red teamers, the offenders, blue teamers, the defenders. Yellow team is your builder. So these are our primary colors, right? So those are your devs, your infrastructure people, your your architects, um, even your governance people um, could be blue or yellow. And I have a lot of yellow teamers coming to me saying, you know, I'm a developer, I'm a programmer or infrastructure mm -hmm. as a code, but I want to purple team. And I'm like, no, like, you just want to be collaborative, but you don't have to be on my proper purple team to do it. Like, mm -hmm. you can sit with me as a pen tester and I'll show you exactly how I would hack your API or what vulnerabilities I'd look for, how I grab for keys. Like, I'll show you how to secure these things. You can implement DevSecOps if you work with blue. So that's green team orange teaming. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, honestly, when you have a lot of security functions collaborating together and everything is built into continuous feedback loops, and they're not afterthoughts and it's not you have two weeks before go live to find all the problems, right. you know, it's truly integrated. That is a white team, which is the combination of all the colors. And like that would be a perfect collaborative security world. And that's where I think we're naturally working towards because everyone's got an interest and I my team touches so many teams already. Mm -hmm. It just makes sense. I'm glad it's a white team because I would have <laughs> called it a brown team if I mix all those pink colors Muddy. together. But uh, you're using light. So I think that's <laughs> I'm using much the light better. Prism. Yeah, yes, light, yes. Light, light's much bigger. You know, and to think about purple teaming and to think about the cost, I'm almost wondering in my mind, what is the justification for even starting something like that? Like if, if you were to be at an organization, let's say you're doing blue teaming or even red teaming and you want to build out a purple team, what do you say to like get your manager to buy in or get your CISO to buy in. To the concept of the purple team or once I've done it and to give me budget to make it better? For just the time, just even the, the, using your time to, to do the that. The value prop. Yeah. Yep. yeah, I tell them, listen, right now you're sitting in a state of theorized security. We think mm -hmm. the firewall rules will stand up. We think there's no open ports. We think our detections will catch these things. But do you really know? Because the reason APTs are st still GitHubbing Mimi cats is because it works and they can get away with it. And that's mm -hmm. a known signature. So I say, you know, what if I could take you from a place where you think security might work X well to a definitive place of proven cyber resilience. Your mm. cyber resilience is your proactive ability to thwart, block, or alert on activity. Mm -hmm. But the other half of your resilience is your ability to react. How quickly can you identify, contain, and eradicate the problem? Let's let's assume breach. Let's assume the bad thing has happened. The zero day was written. Mm -hmm. Your fire eye. They are so motivated. They'll figure it out. Like. Let's test that resilience as well. Let's test the secondary and tertiary levels of defense. Let's not, you know, make the vault door really thick, but you can just screwdriver through the drywall next to it kind of thing. So I tell them, this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to actively prove and confirm on a qualitative level, not only your visibility, but your telemetry capability. Mm -hmm. And if you let me do it my way, that's what you will have in this many months with this many resources. So going from <laughs> realizing that cybersecurity is a thing to, you know, seeking out cybersecurity and going into it, exploring, learning, using that superpower of learning, then realizing that once you got there, things are a little different than I expected. Mm -hmm. And so you had to adjust the way you did it. Sure, you kept your excitement, but you couldn't just go with excitement. You had to bring in that collaboration so everybody didn't feel bad. Yes. Then you got into purple teaming and it's like, okay, now I'm finding my, my place in mm -hmm. cybersecurity. 
what would you say has changed in you the most like throughout that journey? What, what was it about the experience that really will change how you go forward into cybersecurity and even in life? I just I felt empowered to like identify a problem, identify a way to solve it. And like I was just given the authority to solve it, like just go actively do. And I'm like, this is great. Like we're security engineers are given so much autonomy over their projects. Like people really say, I don't understand that. I'm trusting you with it. Make it happen. You're like, yes, I will make it happen. I still have the same passion because <laughs> there's so much in cyber to learn, which is what attracted me to it in the first place. I wanted to use my creative problem solving. I wanted to be using my brain differently every day. And I wanted to never, ever, ever hit the knowledge ceiling. I don't want to ever kick back and say, I'm an expert in all the cyber things now, and that'll never yeah. happen. So, you know, if I get a little bit better, they get a little bit better. And then mm -hmm. I get a little bit better than they. So it's, it's, it's constant. And I love that. That's how I tackle everything. I also love that, like, I was able to backwards, like identify something and backwards plan and play up to my strengths. And, you know, I, I do develop my deficiencies, but my strengths were applicable immediately. Even the, the soft skill ones that I had mm -hmm. helped me succeed very quickly because I had a supplemental skill not everyone on my team had. Um, so what I love about cyber and what keeps me going with it and sucking new people in like my own mother, uh, who is another non-technical person, is that there's a place for everybody here. And like the second I learned enough exploits or enough what I would learn reverse malware engineering, I would learn exploit development. Mm -hmm. And that's that's what I love about this industry. And it's it's completely changed my life. Is your mom really going to get into cyber? Oh, yeah. She's taking a GRC course right now. Okay. That is awesome. She was like, Meryl, I'm not technical like you and your dad. I, can't. I was like, Mom, three years ago, I was not technical either. I was a nobody. You can anyone. It's not for everybody, but anyone can do this. Mm -hmm. What's been her experience with this so far? Like kind of like learning from you and getting started with GRC. She does love it. She I normally break things down in like layman's terms for her. Right. Like I'm like, I do the bad things before the bad people try to make sure you have a chance to fix it. Once she went through this course, she's calling me during what I did, learning the vocabulary. She's like, you exploit vulnerabilities. I was like, yes. She's <laughs> like, I feel like I understand what you say when you talk about work now. And I'm like, yeah. Nice. So she's fired up because she likes to relate to me on that level. So she feels like she's got a whole new knowledge world open to her, too, and so many more professionals she can collaborate with. And, yeah. and she also brings a strength. You know, not every technician loves to go through audits and control statements and new NIST updates, but she, she loves it. I did the same thing. I so. got all my friends into cybersecurity. I was like, you don't really have a choice. Like, we got to we gotta do right. this together. Come to the golden yeah. land. Yeah. <laughs> and what I love about the industry, especially right now, is it's so accessible. There's, yes. mm -hmm. you know, podcasts like ours. We have a bunch of podcasts. We do a bunch of different events to try to, like, get, get people more aware and to make this mm -hmm. information more accessible. But mm -hmm. I know that you're also doing a lot of things with women in cybersecurity, doing mm -hmm. a lot of things with your podcast. Mm -hmm. Yes. What is your goal when it comes to cybersecurity from like an external perspective of like using your voice and using like your platforms? It's literally just to let people know that this is always an option to them. It's you can start over at any time. You can start tomorrow and you will be farther than you were today. So like I did it, you know, I I, I got my first position and, and broken, went from starting in tech to working in pen testing in six months. But I want to help someone do it in three. I want to help someone do it in one. I want to help you do it better and faster than I did. So I help break through those myths like. I have to spend three years learning Python. No, you don't. I do this job every day and mm -hmm. I'm not that good at Python. Like right. I can script it, but I, I'm not, I'm not a dev in it. No. Mm -hmm. So I'm just trying to give people the realistic implications. And also, you know, don't be like me, like, what does working in cyber mean? Like, mm -hmm. actually tell you what it means. Tell you, like, where cybersecurity pillars and concepts come from and how they look in practicum and how we actually apply them and how you can framework something and lay something out. So 
I'm trying to work, I work with um, Breaking Barriers Women in Cyber, so BBWIC. I work with YSIS, the Cyber Queens. My podcast is aimed at um, getting more women, LGBTQ and ethnic minorities and diversity into cyber mm -hmm. because I think diversity of thought is one of the things that makes me so great at my position. Um, right. I brought a unique perspective as someone who's non-technical and I think we have so many strengths we're missing out on from people who have just yet to consider cyber as an option. You gotta get mom on Cyber Queens. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm ready to see it, we gotta see that happen. Mama Vernon, coming yeah. soon. <laughs> <laughs> when you think about Cyber Queens, I mean, I look at the show, it looks great. The branding is awesome. Everyone's on video. You're talking about great topics. What are some of the things that you've learned even just from having the podcast this year? Any unexpected learnings that you found? Yeah, um, actually the biggest audience that consumes the podcast is not the Gen Zers we aimed it at, um, right. which is who the branding and everything is for. Yeah. Uh, it's actually a lot of our colleagues and cohorts like at the engineer or technician or manager level even, and they're saying, you know, what really shocked me was I was like, are we off keel with these topics? Like, are we, are we a little too ranty? Are we not technical enough? Like, and everyone's like, we don't need another technical podcast. We have webinars, we have YouTube channels, but mm -hmm. we love how much we relate. Like, it's nice to know that you went through those things that I'm going through. And it tells me that if you were here and solved it, I can do it too. So like so many people DM us saying, I related to this. Your story really helped me. You helped pull me out of a rut. You helped inspire me to learn something new and like leave my accounting job to go work in cyber and like chase my dream. It's like the DMs and like the awakening has been like the most gratifying part. There's someone that's probably watching the show and they're about to embark on their journey either into cybersecurity, maybe they're making a switch, going from blue team to red team, maybe they're going from red team to purple team. Yes. Maybe even white team, who knows? Who knows? What is that piece of advice for people that are going to step into their strength and like show confidence in doing something new? Because it seems like from my perspective that you have a lot of confidence, right? You're able to, to embrace that vulnerability and try something new. Mm -hmm. What about those folks that are a little bit more timid? They, they want to try something new, but they're a little afraid of either, you know, imposter syndrome. They might have issues with that. What are some of the, the tidbits or the information that you would love to give to the folks out there. I would just love to tell you that none of us woke up knowing this. We all had to start somewhere. And like, I am learning new things every day. I still fail certification tests on the first attempt sometimes. Like, it's it's a hard industry to be in or everyone would be here. But please have the confidence to try. And if you think you're going to fail, go out and fail. Bomb the test. Like, just, just make it the worst attempt you've ever had. And then do the gap analysis and realize maybe you're not as bad as you thought you were. Like, mm -hmm. maybe you can you can improve from here. Now you know your what your barometer is. I would just say, like, yeah, just have the confidence to try. And if you're weak at something or something scares you, make that thing your best friend until you know it forwards backwards upside down. Like the cloud, AWS, like was the first thing I had to learn and it scared scared me <laughs> to death. But I was like, I consumed every cloud-based thing I could find until I started authoring the CIS benchmark on AWS foundational security because I learned it so well. And I was like, we should be writing this down. We should be, I can help. So I just say, develop your deficiencies until they become your strengths and they will become your greatest strengths because you know that you're starting from zero and there's nowhere to go from there, but up, literally. You know what? And I think you, you just said it so beautifully, like really giving yourself the permission, whether it's permission mm -hmm. to fail. Sometimes it hurts a little bit when you don't get it your way, but it giving it a shot, you're going to learn so much. Mm -hmm. And you're like the learning, you're like the learning queen. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> I had a mentee who couldn't pass SEC plus for her life. She would like 98% her practice test and couldn't actually like sit the certification. She would just like stress. And I was like, can you, can you replicate this knowledge? If I asked you to build me a program or explain to me these concepts or, or write this documentation, could you do it? She's like, yeah, in my sleep. I'm like, you're a cyber professional. 
we're just going to go start getting you experience doing the thing. It doesn't, the cert doesn't matter. It's the knowledge and the capability mm -hmm. that right. matters. So if you can learn it, that's where it comes from. You have all this stuff going on. You got podcasts, <laughs> you're evangelizing, purple teaming, you're, you're going on other people's podcasts. What's next for Meryl? Like what's, what's next on the horizon? Yeah, a lot of people have said, you know, how are you going to top what you've done already? And I'm like, oh, I haven't picked yet. I've got more. I've got yeah. more. Uh, we're going to keep it going. We're going to keep the momentum. I've got some big things in the works. I'm going to be starting a uh, doctorate program soon. So a uh, doctorate in cyber. So I'm pretty excited for that. We've got some great collaborations coming out with Cyber Queens with some nonprofit foundations and some things where we're going to be able to get more educational material into high schools and colleges. So uh, that'll be coming next year. We're excited for that. I am continuing to uh, inspire people to just wake up and start purple teaming one day. I say purple teamers <laughs> can come from anywhere. That's on the horizon. I've got one big thing under wraps that I can't tell you about yet, but right. I did promise if it comes to fruition, I would announce it here first. Hey, okay. If that we'll big thing happens, yeah. we will love <laughs> we that. We'll see. And on that same lines, one of the questions that Chris asked me, like our second episode of doing the podcast was, what legacy do you want to leave? So like, you know, looking at your upcoming projects and what you've already done, what kind of legacy are you thinking about leaving today? I want to leave the legacy of like breaking down silos between cyber teams. Personally, I just want people to know that you can drive your own success. You can determine your own rate. You can take your career by the horns and drive it yourself. You do not need to react to whatever hand your organization or the industry deals you. Mm -hmm. You can take control and drive that beast. I can point you to a number of people who've done it different ways. My approach isn't for everyone, but it works for me. If you need help backwards planning your career, identifying relevant skills, finding a new niche, there are people and resources to help you. And that's all we want for you is to like, because if you love the work, you'll show up. Like people ask me if, if all the money and success went away tomorrow, would you still do the work? I'm like, yes, I love this work that much. So uh, I think everyone should feel like that about their job. Mm -hmm. I just got to say, we're huge fans of what you got going <laughs> yes. on. We're Thank definitely going to be tracking your journey. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to hop on the mics with us. If anybody's looking for Meryl out there, uh, we are going to drop all of her information down in the show notes wherever you're listening to this. And with that, we will see everyone next time.